Acts chapter 2. We're going to be reading in the New King James Version, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They'd come to town for the feast of Pentecost. They'd made a pilgrimage, and they were from all over the world, and they were all gathered in Jerusalem. And when this sound occurred, that sound of a rushing mighty wind and the sound of those speaking with tongues, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and in the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour or nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to his flesh, he would raise up the Christ to set on his throne. 
He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. I want to minister from the word of the Lord from that text on this thought. This is that. This is that. If you would, set your Bible down. Let's lift up our hands toward heaven together, collectively, and let's ask the Lord to bless the remainder of our time together. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I speak a blessing and an anointing over every individual under the sound of my voice right now. Lord, as we submit ourselves to your word and we look for revelation, and Lord, we anticipate a move of your spirit this morning. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and a heart and a mind to understand and comprehend what you would have us to receive, and Lord, help us to be yielded and submitted unto you, God, that whatever you would do for me, whatever you would do for my family, Lord, I want to receive it in faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray this over ourselves and over this body. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And the church said, amen. You may be seated. I've been preaching from the word of the Lord these past several Sunday mornings, beginning in Luke 24, going into Acts chapter 1, and now in Acts chapter 2. You'll remember that in Luke 24, that chapter opens up in the immediate aftermath of Jesus having resurrected from the dead. And the disciples are approaching the tomb, and they're finding it to be empty. The tomb is empty. There's angels waiting for them. There's a message. There's a miracle that happens. And as, they, as Jesus moves through the countryside, he encounters two disciples on the road to a village called Emmaus, and they're discouraged, they're distraught, and they're walking. They're trying to just basically run away from their problems in Jerusalem. Their Messiah had been killed, and they were totally just uh, destroyed on the inside. Their world had caved in. And Jesus begins to minister to them. And starting at Moses and the prophets, Jesus uses the Old Testament and explains to them everything that happened to this Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And they don't understand, they don't really understand that it's even him speaking to them. And eventually they're sitting at the table inside of a house and they break bread and their eyes are open and they recognize that it's Jesus. And Jesus disappears from their sight and goes and appears to some of the other disciples and begins to teach the disciples about there's a promise of the Father, everything that he's done, everything that he's taught about, all the things that he's told them about the kingdom of God. They're all leading up to this moment where God is going to pour out what Jesus described as the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. Jesus spends 40 days teaching about the promise of the Father and the, and the things that are to come and the kingdom of God. And the disciples are listening and there's eyewitnesses that Jesus has been resurrected. Up to 500 people at one time see the resurrected Jesus. And it becomes a matter of historical fact that this man was once dead and is now alive and is teaching them about things the Father. And then Jesus, after 40 days, is ascended into heaven and he goes to heaven, disappears out of their sight, and the angels tell them, why stand you here gazing into the heavens? Go do what Jesus told you to do. And what Jesus had told them to do is, after I'm taken from you, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to 
wait there until I send the promise of the Father. They understood the promise of the Father to be the infilling of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. And they waited in Jerusalem. They had an upper room reserved for them. And there was 120 that waited and prayed and looked at the Word of God and observed the Scriptures together and just had a holy anticipation about them as they waited in faith for the promise of the Father to be poured out. And then when the day of Pentecost was fully come, 50 days after Jesus had resurrected from the dead. The Spirit of God was poured out. And there says that suddenly there came a sound from heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And it happened in a moment where they were in one accord and one Place. They were, had a singular focus and God's spirit filled the room and there was a supernatural phenomenon of, of flames of fire that sat over the heads of those that were being filled with the gift of God. God enabled them to do so and it was a miraculous sign that something was happening that wasn't of their own manufacture but it was something from God that was being poured out into them that day. It was the promise of the Father. They were gathered in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost. It was the culmination of a Jewish feast called the Feast of Weeks. And it was a celebration of the wheat harvest. And the population of Jerusalem had swelled because there were so many pilgrims and tourists that had poured into the city. And the city was just just filled to the brim with people from all corners of the world who were observant Jews, who were worshiping God, who wanted to be in Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost. And as they poured out of the upper room, the 120, and they had flames of fire on their head, and they're speaking in languages that they didn't learn on their own, but it's a supernatural sign of God. And there must have been faith and there must have been joy that everything that Jesus had promised had in fact come to pass. They poured out into the streets of Jerusalem and people started to ask questions. There was a multitude that gathered when they heard the sound and they started to ask, what in the world's going on? Who in the world are these people? What could this possibly mean? They started to ask questions. When there's Pentecost happening, there's always going to be some that ask questions. And questions should always be welcome. We shouldn't be intimidated by questions about Pentecost. There's going to be people that have questions about the experience of the infilling of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. And it gives me a lot of hope to see in Acts chapter 2 that it's those very questions that prompted this message by Simon Peter that we quote so often. Simon Peter stood on that day of Pentecost in the midst of all the questions that were being asked. And he made a deliberate appeal to Old Testament Scripture to show the multitude that had gathered together that the events that they were seeing were a fulfillment of prophecy. And that they were supposed to be understood as the consequence of there being a God-man manifest in the flesh that had died and risen again and ascended to heaven. And he had been exalted and now the promise of the Father was being poured out on mankind. Simon Peter stood in the ministry of Jesus Christ. The death, 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. He is the chief cornerstone. There's a lot of doctrines that I hold dear, and there's a lot of convictions that I think are important, but nothing surpasses or even comes close to Jesus Christ. A revelation of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he can do in your life will change everything about your life. And that's the message that Simon Peter rose that day and started to address the questions. He preached Jesus to them. And this morning, in this Pentecost season, I can't go any further preaching the New Testament message of Jesus Christ without addressing some of the very same passages that Simon Peter did at the day of Pentecost. Joel chapter 2 is the first Old Testament passage that Simon Peter quoted And then expounded. He says, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. When Joel and when Simon Peter quoting Joel, said those words in those days. They understood that what was happening on the day of Pentecost and the tongues that they were hearing, a miraculous sign from God, that it was a sign that there was a new era that was beginning. And that soon the judgment of God would arrive on the earth. Tongues in the Old Testament were always a sign of God's judgment on a people. Someone came along speaking a foreign language. It was a sign that you were fixing to get invaded. It was a sign that times were about to change. Someone starts speaking a different language and everyone's attention perks up. And everyone understands something new is coming. And Joel and Simon Peter said, in those days, this is going to be the sign that happens. Because they understood that the day of Pentecost and the initial outpouring of God's Spirit on all flesh meant that we were living in the last chapter of history. And that it wasn't going to be much time at all. And God was going to return to the earth and judge sin and sinners. He said that it was going to happen upon all flesh. All flesh. What's so important about that, Brother Dustin? It means that this experience is for everyone. You need to understand the world that they were living in was divided up into categories just like our world can get divided up into categories. Their world in the first century where Simon Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost was divided up into Jewish and non-Jewish. It was divided up into tax collectors who were sympathizers with the Romans and zealots who were revolutionaries who wanted to, to overthrow the Romans. It was divided into categories. It was divided into generations of young and old, categories of wealthy and poor, connected, and marginalized. They lived in a world where even some of those categories extended into 
gender, where cultural norms dictated that men and women weren't on equal terms. This, what Joel prophesied about and what Peter said was happening in their midst, it was a fulfillment of a promise from God that no one would be left out. Why take this time to slow down and explain this morning? Looking at some of the things. I know I've, I've been a part of the church long enough to know that we stopped at verse 36. I know what verse 37 says. I know what verse 38 says. I know what verse 39 says, Sister Violet. I know those verses. I know what's, what's over the next horizon in the text of God's word that we read this morning. Why slow down and look at this stuff? This stuff... We, we treat it sometimes like it's a precursor, like it's just the appetizer to, to the real thing that's coming here in a moment. Why take the time on a Sunday morning before Pentecost Sunday and take a look at the actual message that God inspired Simon Peter to preach that day? It's the, re- the reason is because people still have questions. Who are these people? How is this happening? What in the world does this mean? I want you to understand today, this is that. This is that which was spoken. It didn't just explode onto the scene like a firework out of nowhere. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. This is that that the prophet King David prophesied about in the Psalms. This is that that the Old Testament told and taught and prophesied and preached about. That that the prophets and kings of old desired to look into. This is that. Psalm chapter 16 is the next passage that Simon Peter references in his message on the day of Pentecost. It says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in hope for you won't leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You read in this psalm, and it's no accident, Simon Peter didn't pick these on accident. You read in this psalm that the theme is confidence. God can protect us, and God will keep you no matter what. The psalmist is always, you read it with me in Psalm 16, the psalmist is always keeping his eye on what God is doing. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, applies it to Jesus Christ. Even when they were crucifying Jesus Christ, even in his suffering and in his death, Jesus always had his attention on the plan of God. What Psalm 16 spoke of in terms of potential, Simon Peter presents to us in terms of reality. It's not something that only existed in the pages of a dusty psalm book in the Old Testament anymore, but Simon Peter says in our midst today that psalm is fulfilled in our hearing. There is one who has been among us who has always been faithful and he's always kept his eye on the plan of God. And even when they were killing him, and even when they were crucifying him, God kept him. He always had his attention on God. God is greater than death. 
And Jesus is living proof of it. That's why you can cling to the promise of Romans chapter 8, verse 38, which says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm here to declare to you on a Sunday morning that this is that. This is that. Psalm 132 verse 11 is the next passage that Simon Peter appeals to in his message at Pentecost. It says this, the Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. One of David's descendants would reign from the throne. And it looked like at moments in history that that promise of God was going to fall apart, Sister Kalen. It looked at various moments like that promise that God made to David that one of his descendants would reign from the throne and be the Messiah. It looked like it was going to unravel, Ryan. It looked like when the kingdom split apart and now there wasn't one united kingdom, but there was two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. It looked like that might be the moment where God's promise might fail. A generation later, it must have looked like when the Israelites were carried into, into Babylon captive, never knowing if they would see their homeland again. It must have looked like that was a moment where God's covenant promise with David would not come to pass. It must have looked pretty bleak when the Romans swept in and took control and no longer were the Israelites governing themselves and no longer were they in control of the temple worship and some of the things that they had used to being able to, to control and, and to set the terms of, but now the Romans are in play and it looks like the Romans are going to squash out the culture and the identity of God's people and that they're going to cease to be a distinct and separated people unto God. It must have looked pretty bleak in that moment, Brother Turner, that maybe God's promise to King David that there would be one of his descendants on the throne would not come to pass. God kept his promise to David. Even in the midst of all those moments where it looked like things were going to fall apart, you can know that God always keeps his promise. God always keeps his promise. I'm trying to preach in the same tone as the Apostle Peter must have preached on the day of Pentecost in, in the hearing of that multitude. People that were had questions, people that had things going on in their life that wondered, is God really in control? Does God really keep his promises? Is God ever going to send a Messiah, Redeemer, King? Is my status quo of my sinful life ever going to change? There was a multitude that day that had questions. What does this mean? Who are these people? What in the world's going on? And today I want to tell you, if you've come in with questions about your life and you don't know which direction's up anymore, and maybe you've just tied a knot on the end of your rope and you're just hanging on for dear life, I've come to tell you that there is a God who always keeps His promises. 
need is at the doorstep. God always keeps his promises. Oh, what an assurance that we have that we serve a God that never lets go of us, that never gives up on us, and that always keeps his promise. Let me tell you more about Jesus because Simon Peter didn't stand that day on the day of Pentecost to tell you about David and all of the people that were back in the ancestral history of Israel. But Peter stood on that day and I rise this morning to tell you about Jesus Christ, the one who can forgive your sin, the one who can remit your sin and wash it all away, the one who will send his spirit into your life and give you the power to live overcoming and victorious over sin. Peter is saying, even when it looked dead, even when they were crucifying Jesus, even when it looked like the plan of God was never going to come to pass in their generation, in that moment, the promise and the plan of God was alive and well. Here's what's more. If you've got your Bible open, you can see it. But that multitude that was gathered that day at the day of Pentecost would have known it from memory that Psalm 132 doesn't just contain a prophecy about God keeping a descendant of David on the throne and reigning in a Messiah sense, but it also, that psalm goes on to talk about an important theme that Simon Peter must have himself known and the multitude that day would have known it too. It goes on to talk about the indwelling presence of God. Peter was preaching that day because something remarkable had happened. It wasn't just that he stood up and felt like he needed to be in the spotlight. It was that something miraculous and supernatural had transpired in the upper room and it was spilling out into the streets of Jerusalem and someone had to rise in the Holy Ghost and give an answer for it. It was the indwelling of God's Spirit, the promise of the Father. And Peter was preaching that day because something remarkable had happened. God's dwelling place was no longer the building up the hill, but it was with them. It was with them. It was with them. No longer was God's presence going to dwell in a tent or a tabernacle. No no longer was God's presence going to dwell behind a couple thick veils in a secluded room that only one person could access. But now the presence and the manifestation of God was going to dwell in them. What a promise. What a promise. I pray that we don't ever get to the place where we take it for granted that God's dwelling place is with us. I pray that we never get to the place where we start to take it for granted that we don't need a mediator between God and men, but we have Christ Jesus our Lord. This is that. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. This is that which was testified by the king David. Even in Psalm 110, verse 1, David writes prophetically, and he says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Here again, for the fourth time, Simon Peter reaches back a thousand years and references a prophetic word from God about a future king. David said, my Lord. He recognized 
that contrary to the way that things normally worked, Sister April, David recognized that his descendant would be his master. Somebody on this side of history looked back at an ancestor and esteemed them so highly and they could do no wrong. David reverses it prophetically and says, I am going to have one that comes out of my lineage, one of my descendants who's going to be my master. And Simon Peter stood on that day of Pentecost and referenced that prophetic word and said, someone greater than David is here. Everyone who opposes Jesus, he says, will be brought under subjection. Every enemy will be turned into a footstool. Every enemy will be brought under the feet of Jesus. I said it a moment ago. There's coming a day when every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess. What are they going to confess? That Jesus is Lord. Peter stood and declared it at Pentecost that day that greater than David is here. What am I saying? I'm saying the same thing as him in the Holy Ghost. That this is that. This is that. That same church that was born on the day of Pentecost almost 2,000 years ago. That same church church exists on the face of the earth today. And it's gathered here this morning in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. This is that which was spoken of. This is a Holy Ghost filled, spirit filled group of people that believe in the miraculous, that believe in the supernatural, who believe that God still does what he says he's going to do, that he keeps his promise, and that no word of God that he speaks ever falls to the ground unfulfilled I said it a moment ago I know and perhaps you know as well that there is an Acts 238 that comes immediately after this passage that we read together this morning but I would submit to you today that before there was ever a plan of salvation There was a person. I want you to see Jesus today. I want you to see Jesus. I know, I know when we quote that and we say this is that, and just those three words are sometimes enough to stir us Pentecostals up. We're thinking of the event of the outpouring of the Spirit and the flames of fire and the sign of tongues. But I'm presenting to you this morning that there is more to the message. Peter also preached that day at Pentecost and referenced the prophet king David and Joel. And he presented Jesus Christ, Messiah and Savior. Before there was ever a plan, there was a man. And without the man, you're not going to get to the plan. We can't, we can't leapfrog over these first 36 verses of Acts chapter 2 and jump headlong into 37, 38, and 39 without acknowledging that there is a person named Jesus Christ. He came from Nazareth. He hung on a cross. He went into a tomb. And then he came out of that tomb. And he rose. And he went to heaven. And he poured out his spirit. Everything is made possible by Jesus Let's give the Lord praise right now in this place. He's here. He's alive. He's with us today. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, don't jump straight to the plan today. Don't jump straight to the plan and miss the person. 
you've heard me preach many times, you know where I stand on the new birth experience. The new birth experience is absolutely essential. You must repent of your sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. But for everything that the new birth experience is, it is not the cornerstone of the church. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Don't skip the man and go straight to the plan. Get a relationship going with the man. Get interested in Jesus. Start worshiping Jesus and then just see what he will do in your life. I don't want anyone to be confused today. I've already said it. The plan is absolutely essential. But the plan is a singular event in your life. You're only going to get the Holy Ghost for the first time once. You're only going to get baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins once. You're only going to repent for the first time once. And turn away from that and then walk the other direction. It's a singular experience. But there's one who wants to be a part of your everyday life. Oh, Brother Dustin, you're treading on. You need to have an experience where you're spiritually born again. And I'm not preaching anything is superior to that. But I'm preaching it's not enough to have a singular experience and not have a relationship with God. It's not insignificant. And it should not be lost on you today that Simon Peter, when he stood up on the day of Pentecost, he didn't start with repent and be baptized. He started with Jesus. He's the author and he is the finisher. And if you will acknowledge Jesus... And you will worship and adore and exalt and follow and consecrate your life around Jesus. You will have a new birth experience. You will be spiritually born again. Because listen, when you get to know Jesus, you're going to love him. You're going to love him. And to love him is to obey him. And to obey him is to be born again of the water and of the spirit. I'm trying to trace everything back to Jesus today. I'm trying to tell you that this is that. Don't settle for a plan and miss out on a man. Because a revelation of Jesus Christ will certainly lead you to a plan of salvation. This is that. As the musicians come. This Jesus is the seed of David who fulfills everything we know from the testimony of the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise and prophecy. And Jesus is the only way to be saved. The new birth experience that I've mentioned this morning is modeled after the pattern of the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see how we have to have the man before the plan? Because without the man, there is no plan. The new birth experience of repenting of your sins, being baptized, 
and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost is patterned after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the first message of the New Testament church started with a declaration about Jesus. If we would stand to our feet this morning, the call that I would make would be that you would do well to submit yourself to Jesus Christ and to yield every part of your life, the totality of who you are, to Him. Whether for you that means reconsecrating your life and making Him the ultimate point of worship in your existence and just a renewal, there's going to be many that the Spirit prompts that kind of response for you today. For some, it may be a fresh revelation of who He is, and it might mean that when you yield your life to Him, you need to be born again of the water and of the Spirit for the first time. Let's lift up our hands all over this place right now. Oh, that Jesus would walk through your aisle, your row right now. That someone would allow Jesus to take them by the hand and lead them towards truth, towards redemption, towards a spiritual new birth. These altars are open right now, and I just, can we just create a spiritual atmosphere of responding in faith right now? Someone needs to step out of where they are, and you need to renew your relationship with the one who came to save you. Maybe you, maybe, maybe an act of surrender for you is going to be a reconsecration. Maybe it's going to be a renewed worship, but would you find a place to bend your knee and maybe just worship?